Hey fellow Dizzers, Sean Seriano here, S. Seriano on the boards. From points across California, you're listening to the Disneyland edition of the Diz Unplugged. Diz Unplugged Roundtable Discussion Disneyland Edition for the week of October 13th, 2011. I'm your host this week, Tom Bell, and I'm joined by my fellow Disneyland correspondents, Wayne Toygo, Nancy Johnson, and Tony Spatel. In this week's show, Nancy will tell us about the new Cirque du Soleil show, Iris, at the Kodak Theater in Hollywood. And continuing our Halloween theme for October, Wayne will be reviewing Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios Hollywood. All that, plus this week's news and roundtable rapid-fire on this edition of the Diz Unplugged. Hello, everyone. Hello, Hello everyone. I All present and accounted for? Hmm? Yeah, I have to correct you for the pronunciation of Iris. It's actually Iris. Oh, my. My apologies. Hey. That's just the way it's Spe- Speaking of pronunciation, don't, don't you know that Nancy <laughs> is the queen of pronunciation? Yeah. How, now, tell, how's, it, how's it again? Iris? Iris. Oh my! Okay, never gonna get used to that. It's French. Uh, as is as, as are the scary oh. clowns. Okay, we'll get we'll get into that later though. Uh, speaking of pronunciations, got a quick housekeeping regarding our show a few weeks ago where we talked about the celebration at Rancho de Zocalo called Dia de los Muertos, and we it's kept continued calling it Dia de los Muertes. Which is not correct. Our friend Mary Jo corrected us on that. It's actually Dia de los Muertos, and it's celebrated November 1st and November 2nd. And to add, I knew you guys were pronouncing it wrong, and I just want to be a know-it-all. Dude, a lot of my students speak Spanish. I know. Okay? I knew it was not... Why didn't you say something? Because I thought it was funny. Oh, so we were saying Day of the Deaths instead of Day plus, of the Dead. Plus, but, I know. knew that eventually we'd be corrected, and yeah. then we would have housekeeping. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I just, I just, for the show's oh. sake. So you gave <laughs> us more show material. Yes. You're so nice, Tony. No, I probably wasn't really paying attention, to be perfectly yeah, honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, any other housekeeping? One um, small one. Okay. Um, Electronica is back. Um, it's, it was, uh, down for a short hiatus. It got some refurb and some, uh, some touch up. Um, they had a small act in there, but I think that's already closed now. And now the regular, uh, the regular street party is back in its run. It's going to run through the early part of next year. I think it runs through April. Of 2012, Something when like the next street party will start. Isn't so, that rumored to be a mad tea party or something like that? Yes, it's sounding more and more exciting. But for now, if you haven't been to Electronica, it's the, your last chance. Wayne, I like Electronica toy go speaks again. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> One other well, quick... My, okay, go my ahead. Has, go ahead. Uh, one other quick correction. We had talked about the Redwood Creek Challenge Trail going down, and apparently that refurbishment has been put off. So, mm, There we go. Well, my quick uh, housekeeping bit is the Pooh meet and greet over in Critter Country is back up and running. Woohoo, that's it. <laughs> nice. Oh, boy. Short for me. That's very true. But as you're adding these comments, it lengthens it. Just letting you know. <laughs> I'm done hey, talking. I'm not the one. Really, I am. I'm done talking. Okay. 
anybody else. In dead silence. <laughs> Jeez. Tony. That's just going to encourage Nancy to talk Tony, more. say something about... Okay, about the Tinkerbell, or something. Tinkerbell Half Marathon, we're up to $910. If you could please donate. I'm up to 10 miles. Yeah. Severe dehydration today, but I, I passed my, I got back to my house. Not severe dehydration, I was just thirsty. Um, tinyurl.com <laughs> slash DizRunner, and then I got wings and a tutu ready to, well, I don't have them ready to go, but I'll be running in them if we, uh, if you raise that money. So we need a, about $1,100 more, so. Get on help the out! Help us! Help out! Give kids the world. Excellent. Go, Tony. Go. One, one other. Well, not maybe, maybe more than one. Uh, another housekeeping. We are out of intros. I've used my last intro. We need people to call in their intros. Send those to dlpodcast at wdwinfo.com so you can be part of the show. Nobody loves us. They're not sending us intros. <laughs> Man, no, I think they love it. us. They just don't want to act on that love. Now's your chance. Woo-hoo. You go to the front of the line. <laughs> <laughs> any any housekeeping from the party show? Um, Tom, I think you have housekeeping. Okay, I'll mention show. it. One thing that Tony got me all excited about about the about the party, and we we noticed it, and then forgot to mention it, is the classic rock music that yes, they play Arena in rock. Adventureland. It was it was quite away. wild coming come through there. Thank you for singing it, so I didn't have to sing it. Thanks, Tom. Lad. Yeah, <laughs> they were rocking out sticks. Last year, I think I heard Scorpions is awesome. It's worth the price just, just for that. Yes. <laughs> I've had to hide my candy, so I will stay away from it. Oh, my God, I'm still eating my children's candy. Although Lily opened her bag today and, uh, and said, Mommy, how come there's not very much candy in here? I had a lot more. <laughs> see, this is the whole problem. I can't do this. My I just put it away so I can't candy. even see it. My oh, my God. I so he, he ate all the Kit Kats out of there. So. I'm still eating chocolate. I have chocolate right now. And and don't we agree? After podcast? now that now that we've really looked through our stash, they really did good, give out a good quality of items this oh, year. Yeah. It was it was better than last year, except for no Ghirardelli. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's all the housekeeping I have on my list. Anybody else going once, going twice? No, nope. I think you're okay. good. Let's go over to Tony with the news. Okay, let's start with an Anaheim man will spend a year in jail after pleading guilty to importing $2 million worth of counterfeit Disney pins from China that he and a co-conspirator plan to sell online as genuine collectibles. Like I said, genuine. Robert Edward Smirak, 52, pleaded guilty Wednesday to felony manufacturing and sale of counterfeit goods, according to court records. In addition to jail time, Smirak was sentenced to three years of probation and, ordered, and was ordered to pay restitution. Smirak, who held down a day job at a computer company in Orange while masterminding the Disney scheme on the side. Masterminding. Yeah, I like that. And it's a scheme. And it's um, a scheme. Yeah. No, it was According a scheme. To, yeah. I think we've had – I'm having deja vu because I think we've mentioned this story before. Well, I think but this he hasn't been busted it, and yeah. we've had the same jokes. Yeah. Um, but, hey, did at you guys find consistent. that out? Yeah, there you go. Uh, people like consistency. Okay, so masterminding the scheme, according to prosecutors – he could have faced up to three years in prison if he was convicted at trial. The case was investigated by U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement's Homeland Security Investigations oh, and the geez. Anaheim Police Department. They get the big guns in for this. Disney, <laughs> do not mess with Disney. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement's Homeland Security Investigations. Ooh. Wow. According to the DA's office, Smirak and his partner sent legitimate collectible pins to a manufacturer in China to be replicated and had the fake pins shipped back to them 
an account disputed by Smirak's attorney, and that's why he gets paid the big bucks. During the course of the operation, Smirak and his accomplice are accused of receiving approximately 80 shipments of counterfeit pins from China with an approximate value of $2 million, according to the DA's office. The scheme unraveled in February when U.S. Customs and Border Protection officers and import specialists intercepted a parcel at LAX, Los Angeles International Airport, addressed to Smirak containing more than 150 pounds of counterfeit Disney pins. The two were arrested April 14th by the Anaheim Police Department. A hearing is scheduled for November 16th to determine how much restitution Smirak will owe Disney. So don't mess with Disney pins. That's the... That's the first story. Serious business. Oh, on a happier note, well, kind of, I guess. Kind of. Um, well, he retired, so this guy, I'm teasing. This is a tease, what we call him the news business. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Ray Sedejas, operations manager of custodial guest services, is retiring after 46 years of maintaining Disneyland. Sedejas applied to work at Disneyland, he says, because a friend constantly pressured him to apply at Disneyland. I already had a job. I didn't want a job here, he said. I was particularly happy working for an insurance company in Santa Ana. Sedejas finally applied for a job as a busboy in October of 1964 and did not expect to be hired. He worked at Disneyland and his other job until he graduated from Long Beach State with a degree in police science in 1969 with the goal of becoming a policeman. He said after graduating, he gave two weeks' notice at both jobs. But then the manager of custodial operations, Chuck Boyajane, encouraged him to apply for a management position. He said, I always thought I was going to be a police officer, but I was working in the happiest place on earth. Those two things are like not in sync with one another, Sadeha said. I was actually beginning to realize where I should be going is staying with Disney and dealing with the happy side of people because it makes you happy. I didn't think I was going to get offered the job, but I didn't turn it down. It was the best decision I ever made. As Disney grew, Sadehas was instrumental in helping spread the Disney culture to new workers. He was chosen as part of a grand opening team at Walt Disney World, Tokyo Disneyland, and Euro Disney later renamed Disneyland Paris. It's something that you never forget when you get to go off to places like that and deal with different cultures, he said, and you get to introduce the Disney culture to these other societies and cultures. In 2011, he was awarded, he was one of 96 employees awarded at the Disneyland Resort to receive the Walt Disney Legacy Award, given to recipients nominated by colleagues for going above and beyond in their jobs as well as representing Disney's legacy to dream, create, and inspire. Sadeha said his retirement will not take him far from Disney. My wife Josie and I are going to Walt Disney World, he said. <laughs> I have never had a real vacation. I want to experience Disney World because I helped open that place. I just think that's a cool story, hearing all the stuff yeah. he did, and that he's going to go back. That is cool. And, good good for him. Well, and I, I don't know. Did we talk about this last week that the, the custodial staff has the most interaction with guests? And it was interesting in the research for the article, he actually mentioned how in the beginning that was, wasn't how it was. Ah. They kind of adjusted that. Wow. So, but he's been there so long. So, all right. And finally, Steve Jobs, founder of Pixar and co-founder of Apple, passed away at the age of 56. He had a rare form of pancreatic cancer called pancreatic neuroendocrine cancer, which produces islet cells or neuroendocrine tumors. Jobs was diagnosed in 2003, had a liver transplant in 2009, and took an extended medical leave from Apple last January. In an interview with the LA Times, Disney CEO Bob Iger reflected on Jobs and his relationship. I was musing about Disney building a hotel in Hawaii and where might be the right place to do it. 
And Jobs said to him, why don't you buy Lanai? You should just buy the whole island. Think big. Don't just build a resort. Not all of Steve's ideas were good or practical, Iger said. The point was that he pushed you. His advice was usually to be independent-minded, to not take safe paths or follow ordinary routes, to write your own playbook. I love that advice, Iger says. These jobs can sometimes be lonely, and it's nice to have somebody to bounce ideas off of or be reminded of certain things. He would remind me constantly about quality, the number of consumer products we created, the number of movies we made. Try to make the best things and only those. And on a personal note, he, I, his, his company, Apple, the products that they made literally changed my, my life personally because when I was in a school district and I got my first MacBook, I, my first iBook G4, I had, I learned how I could be creative in the classroom again and how I could start using technology and that, that iBook G4 turned me into becoming a geek. And then that slowly got me on my way to getting a master's degree and now the current job I have and presenting over around California. And I have to thank the Apple products for doing that because it made them so easy for people like me to use it. And um, I think back to if we look at our iPhones and all of our Disneyland apps that everybody has and how many people use their use an iPhone to communicate about Disney with each other. And even though I know podcasts weren't invented specifically by Apple or from, you know, they were RSS feeds that were around before. But if you think of what we're doing right now, a lot of it was the popularity of the products that Apple had that allow us now to be doing this podcast that we're doing. So I think there, and I think there really is there that, that Disney Disneyland connection there, because I know a lot of us use those devices and I was doing some research on it, and um, I found a quote which I, which spoke speaks to me, and I think will maybe speak to a lot of Disney fans too. And what he said was, "If you haven't found it yet, keep looking. Don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know it when you find it. And that it could be anything. And maybe for us, it was this Disney fan community. And for other people, it's their job. And for other people, it's that person. But that just reminded me of how." we get together every two weeks and we found that one thing that brought us all together and we still want to do it. And I think Disney kind of relates to that. So that's my own personal perspective on that. And that is the news. All right. Thanks, Tony. Let us head over to rapid fire. Nancy. So my rapid fire this week has to do with more of a plug than a rapid fire right now. One of the big Power of Ten events that everyone can participate in to support Give Kids the World is an online event. It's the Fall Vendor Fair. The um, link is http colon slash slash Power of Ten Fair, F-A-I-R, and that's Power of One Zero Fair, F-A-I-R, dot blogspot dot com. And we'll have that in the show notes. Um, they have 11 vendors up and running and expect to have a couple more, maybe. Uh, they include 31 Gifts, Avon, Creative Memories, both USA and Canada, Pampered Chef, Scent Stations, Silpata, Stampin' Up, Tastefully Simple, Tupperware, and you, um, Us Born Books. And uh, possibly even Mary Kay and Leah Sophia. So... 
Um, each vendor has outlined how to order any special shipping information and what Give Kids the World's gifts by your order. So they're going to have prize drawings every week. For every 25 you spend in the fa- spend, you'll be entered to win one of 13 prizes valued at around $25. So um, there's a great thread on the board um, under the Power of Ten subforum, and the sale ends October 31st. Oh, and uh, feel free to PM Tara, TSW Jan78 on the boards if any uh, questions. Awesome. Thank you, Nancy. Uh, Wayne. Okay. On uh, Sunday, Sunday, October 30th, the Walt Disney Family Museum will have a family-oriented Halloween spooktacular. Ooh. Kids are invited to come in costume. The museum will have crafts, games, a spooky walk, and an Everyone Wins costume parade. The event is from 1 p.m. to 4 p.m. and only costs $2 per person. But the big event that weekend is on Saturday, Sunday, and Halloween Monday. That's the 29th, 30th, and 31st. The museum is presenting Hallow Screen. This event will feature nine of the Disney classic Halloween-themed cartoons that were created from 1929 to 1952, and they'll be presented in the museum's theater. This sounds like a really fun little event. It does. Yeah. The, fe- the features include the, se- the skeleton dance. I was say skeleton dance, yeah. Th- that's one of those silly symphony cartoons. Yeah. The Goddess of Spring, Hell's Bells, Night on Bald Mountain, that's one of the segments from the Fantasia movie, the original Fantasia. That, to me, is worth the price of admission right there. Pluto's Judgment Day, The Mad Doctor, The Old Mill, which is another classic Disney cartoon, and, are we ready, The Adventure of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, another one worth the price of admission. I could never listen to that recording when I was a kid. So fun. So fun. And ending with the cartoon Trick or Treat. The films are shown several times a day, and admission for all nine films is just $7. The run, the, the, the length runs about an hour. The Walt Disney, it sounds, it sounds great. It sounds like really fun. I may have to go get, get, go see this just, just to see this film event. Well, you're so close, you should. Indeed. The Walt Disney Family Museum, for those that don't remember, is located in the Presidio area in San Francisco and is open every day except Tuesday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. You can attend the movie screenings without actually going to the museum part itself, but if you do want to go to the museum, that's only $20 per person. Excellent. Um, I will go next since we're talking about holidays. They've announced the details for Thanksgiving Day dining at Disneyland. And, of course, the big Thanksgiving feast takes place in the Grand Ballroom of the Disneyland Hotel. Uh, Chip and Dale and other Disney characters will be there, so you can get autographs and take pictures. And, of course, the big big traditional Thanksgiving dinner. Adults are $71.99. Children are $18. And that's served from noon to 6 p.m., and, of course, call uh, 714-781-DINE to make your reservations. Um, the other buffets 
in the Disneyland Resort, Goofy's Kitchen, Storytellers, and the PCH Grill will also be serving up Thanksgiving dinner. And Napa Rose also has their four-course Thanksgiving dinner. However, I called to get pricing and was told that it was already booked up. No kidding. Well, it's kind of weird, I'm though, because I, I, ca- I called, and she's like, how many How many in your party? I'm like, well, I'm just trying to get information. She's like, oh, okay, here's the information, blah, 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 but we're already booked up. I'm like, well, why were you asking about how many in my party, then, if you're already wow. booked up? So, anyway, should be a fun time. Thanksgiving Day, November 24th. Tony. Visitors to Disneyland.com have an opportunity to vote with the Academy of EVIL this Halloween <laughs> season. EVIL stands for Excellence in Villainy, Insolence, and Larceny. And they'll get to vote for some of their favorite villains at the Wicked Gooey Apple Awards. That just sounds so wrong. Yeah, I know. But um, right now, it's a layer of scare. And your nominees are Maleficent, Queen of Hearts, Jafar, Cruella de Vil, Captain Hook, Ursula, and Evil Queen. So if you want to be interactive and vote to see who's going to take home, and I'm quoting, the coveted Gooey Award. <laughs> so I'm just letting you know that it's not. It's, 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 uh, which genius in Disney marketing came up with that one? Yes. What's it shaped like? Oh, you know what? If you go on the, the homepage, you'll see the first winner, and it's like an apple with like gooey stuff, like okay. kind of like a caramel. It's a poison apple. It's a drippy yeah. poison apple. Okay. Yeah. So for that. there you go. Go ahead and vote. <laughs> go ahead and vote. All right. Because <laughs> you know what? You can't complain. If you if don't. If, don't complain unless you vote. <laughs> if your villain doesn't win. Win. Don't. You cannot it's... complain for four years. <laughs> Rock the vote. Get out. Jeez. All right. Did that's... Tony eat before we started recording? I'm just ready for a good show. Awesome. I mean, do you have one of those gooey apples? He may have. All right. That'll do it for rapid fire. We will wait 30 seconds while you head to that website and put in your vote. Yes. Okay. Now we'll go over to Nancy, who will talk about... Oh, Iris? Iris. The new Cirque du Soleil show in Hollywood. Okay. This is the newest show by Cirque du Soleil, and it's actually the first show ever taking place in an existing theater that was not originally built for Cirque du Soleil. Um, The Kodak Theater was looking for a new tenant, and... Cirque du Soleil stepped up, so there's now two official tenants that call the Kodak Theater home. The first one is, of course, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, and now Cirque du Soleil. They signed a t- what they believe is going to be a 10-year contract, wow. um, and they've spent three years developing this show from beginning to uh, the opening in September. So... They did have some, like, pre-openings this summer, or some, you know, kind of preview, you know, where Disney's all into soft opening, well, so is Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> and um, I didn't get a chance to go then, I really wanted to, but when we got invited to the event, I, I couldn't say no. I was really curious to see what they had done, 
this was a hundred million dollar production and 40 million of that was spent excavating the Kodak Theater and rebuilding some segments. Now the, the theater had been originally designed for the Academy, um, the Academy Awards and so it had lots of rigging and special features and stuff that made it an attractive venue to move into. But as we all know, that since we've all seen Cirque du Soleil shows, Cirque du Soleil is different. Cirque du Soleil uses very unique combinations of stages and they also have, because they are a circus, they also have the need for aerial riggings for the aerialists. And so, yeah, 40000 to completely renovate. Million. And million. what they, hmm? Million. I mean, 40 million, million, million. You, well, you know, when you're talking those figures, yeah. <laughs> it's just a million drop. here, million there, you know. So, basically, they went from a normal theater to, how do I want to put it? They installed 20 video projectors. They have 80 motorized winches, which are lifting machines that require only two people to operate. And some of them can go as fast as 10 feet per second. Wow. And lift up to 1,200 pounds. I mean, the amount of hardware they put into this facility is pretty darn amazing. Can't wait to see what they do with the Academy Awards next year. I know. <laughs> I, that, that was the one cool thing about it is the um, the infrastructure that they perform in goes. 122 feet, and that's from the high grid that the aerialists um, enter, like the trapezes from, descend to the trapezes from, and all the way down to 34 feet below the stage, where they have a three-story set that's hidden underneath. And that lift can move up 20,000 pounds. So that gives you kind of an idea of the scope of what had to happen to this theater in order to do this production. Well, all Cirque productions are really elaborate in their stage setting and such like that. Let's talk about Eurice. Now, considering this show is based in Hollywood, Cirque really wanted to do something that plays off of the theme of of Hollywood. And that, of course, is cinema. And so Iris, or Iris, is the eye of the lens of the camera. So they want you to understand, through this show, they're trying to get you to understand and feel the very beginnings of movies, from black and whites, all the way through different genres of movies. And so they'll introduce different types of movies as they go through. And it's really unique how they weave it all together. Now, are they using clips from movies or just the feeling of the movies? Yes and no. They're not actually using traditional movie clips. But there are one or two like pre-film things that are reminiscent. Give the impression of, a, uh, of okay. Yeah, gotcha. that they're part of those movies, but not really as much as I thought. I was really kind of curious to see how they were going to weave the whole the whole cinema and genre thing together. Right. 
of course, Cirque has those really amazingly wild costumes. This show is no exception. Let's kind of talk about the way the show starts off. We had fun from the minute we were seated. We were lucky enough to have been given mezzanine one center seats. Oh my gosh. If you're buying your own tickets to this, these seats are the same price as the main body of the floor with the exception of the orchestra pit right up, up in front. They were the most perfect seats ever. Yes, they were up high and kind of far from the stage. A little bit because the mezzanine is the first level of balcony. But we were exactly at the same level of most of the aerial performance. Let me tell you, that was gold. Balcony seats are not going to kill you in this show at all. (laughs) And this show has a really wide range of pricing. So you can get the really top balcony seats. How big big is the seating theater? The theater actually seats, hang on, I've got that factoid, 3,330 Oh, jeez. That's a big house. Well, what's interesting, like, we noticed this immediately when we walked in and, and sat down in our particular seats. Like, the mezzanines aren't that deep. Our mezzanine was only maybe about 10 rows, 12 rows. So I thought that that was kind of interesting. There's a lot more floor seating, but there's like three or four mezzanine levels to the Kodak Theater. One of the things that if you're coming to for your Southern California vacation during Academy Awards season, please keep in mind that if you have any plans to see Iris, it's not going to happen. Iris goes, is going to go dark for those two months. Two months? Yes. They'll get ready for the Academy wow. Awards. I mean, they built and, the theater for the Academy Awards. They're the number one tenant. Yeah. Yeah. So, And what's interesting, they told us, is they actually will pack up all of their equipment and remove everything from the theater. Bang. That, that makes sense. So they'll strip it for the Academy Awards so they can come in and do whatever right. they have to do. Which it makes why, sense, and they said, it, you know, they months, said yeah. they hope to reduce some of that downtime right. in later years when they get more used to it. But since this is their first season, it might be a little bit longer next year. So they're giving themselves a little extra time just in case. Yeah. Kind of like the hundred mansion holiday to. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> well, you know that did take longer the first couple yeah, of years yeah. for them to take to yeah. take it in and out. Small world too. Yeah. I mean, really. but. Well, and here's to my bring it weird, back to Disney, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, no, here's my weird tying it back to Disney. Francois Bourgeron, which, who was the sound designer for Iris, for Iris you got me saying Iris now, um, he actually took part in the creation of Tokyo Disney Sea. So that's kind of cool. So, so took part in as? As in he was like... He was hanging out. Okay, yeah, I was going to say. He like... He, he catered he, it. The des- yeah. He, he helped with the designing. Okay. So, of, he, and of course, he was sound designer. <laughs> so I can only assume his relationship was sound. And oh, also... Oh, um, man, that was horrible. And also the... Uh, relationship was sound. 
and also the uh, cr- director of creation for Iris, um, Jean-Francois Bouchard, joined Cirque in 1988 to actually create the interior design of the boutique that's connected to the Lanuba Theater in Orlando. Mm-hmm. There you go. There's your other Disney factoid. And it, it kind of really shows, I mean, Disney and Cirque, you can totally see the connection. You can see the creativity. You can see how they want to bring you into everything. For instance, when we sat down for the show, we noticed a couple things. And they were things that Disney subtly does in their cues and stuff. The theater, the stage, the um, the backdrop for the curtain, um, everything that's presented to you when you come in, there are these two giant... Think of them like a mix between a, you know, the little top-hatted millionaire guy on the Monopoly game? (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Moneybags, yes. Mr. Moneybags. You know how he always wears the tall top hat and he has the monocle? Well, You know, he doesn't always wear it because, you know, when he's just relaxing, he likes ball caps. That's what I've heard. I mean... (laughs) 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 I I gotta butt in with something... You know, and it's okay. Well, okay, what's so back to money, is, Mr. Moneybags in the hat, sorry. What's interesting is they do these kind of weirdly odd, bizarre... Cirque... Okay, I, let me start out by saying this. One of the things Cirque does is they take a concept and then they tweak it to a fantasy version of that concept. For instance, um, a lot of these costumes are based on, like, the 1920s, the original cameras, the original movie-making equipment, the original um, the original form of entertainment. One of the costumes, for example, is actually, it's a beautiful gal in, black, in a black-striped outfit, and she has this skirt on, and from a far distance... If it's fuzzy, you'd think maybe she had a ballerina-type shape. But her skirt is actually, let me get this right, it's actually a praxiscope. Does anybody know what that is? Nope. I don't know that one. Or, I'm you sorry, praxinoscope. I still don't know that one. You know how when you go into like the animation playground in the Beast, by, near the Beast Library, Okay. Um, at uh, the animation building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know you, how you have all those original sort of motion of animation? The little, right. spinny, um, little spinny things? Yeah, the little spinny things. And especially the ones where you lean down and you look through the slots on the side. Right. As you spin them, the motion goes. That is exactly what her skirt actually is. And oh, she okay. can control the spin. Oh, wow. Is there things printed on the inside yes, that you can then see? Oh, that's cool. That's so like very the cool. Old, the original, um, so you can see her boxers? Now Tom perks up. Well, you know, she is a very lovely girl. <laughs> <laughs> and some of the other costumes are like that. Um, their logo costume in, in all their the Eris logo stuff is one of the camera men. And they look like the old-fashioned wood cameras on the tripods. 
anyway, that kind of gives you an idea. And of course, the people's costumes are all in that sort of twenties, thirties. Kind of interestingly and oddly enough, ties in with the California Adventure, even though it has nothing to do with it. It's almost the same area as Walt and the California Adventure thing. So that was my other weird factoid. They did a lot of that whole steampunking type stuff. You always you know, bring in the jewels. steampunking thing. Well, you it's you know, kind of a trivia. Expert. I, I, just, I, I am no expert in steampunk, trust me. Well, compared to us, you are. Oh, yeah. But it's that whole Jules Verne kind of feel, too. You know how Jules Verne always took his characters and created an era which wasn't really an era? You know, all this wild stuff that could happen even though the technology wasn't present? Unfortunately, yes. I do understand what you're saying. Yes, <laughs> I do. Yes, I understand what you're okay. saying. Cirque does a lot of that same feel. And that's the whole feel of the show. The sets, the um, the stage... And what's interesting and weird at the same time is these two giant guys that look like Mr. Moneybags from Monopoly, only really tall and skinny and kind of more bizarre and scary. Um, <laughs> so nothing like them. And he does. doesn't look like them. See, that would mean they can look alike. Are they like carnival barkers or well, something? I'm trying, the... Yeah, they're kind of like carnival barkers, only with top hats. Okay. Instead yeah, of Cirque, the, Cirque has that top character. hats and monocles. Yeah. Cirque well, kind anyway. of has that character in a lot of their shows, that kind of character. Yeah. It is Cirque. It is Cirque. Um, anyway, the mouths are actually little separate side stages. So they're kind of like little vignettes on the side. And it, and you're looking at these big things because you can't help but look, not look at them. And their eyes will blink. They've projected like a blinking eye in the screen. And it's just every once in a while so that you kind of go, oh, that's weird. And then when you look at the top of the center of the stage, you know how the old-fashioned theaters always have um, some kind of beautiful carved medallion right. up at the top center of the stage. Uh, top center of the stage. Well, this is a camera, one of the old-fashioned box-style cameras, and there's a big eye, a, a big lens. And we know first thing we noticed. There's a face up there, and then the face would kind of come in, go in. It looked like they opened the lens, kind of like a porthole. They opened, looked, and then closed it and went out. And it kind of rotated through a bunch of different people. And so we're noticing these things, and then all of a sudden, the gal in the praxinoscope skirt is over in our aisle. Now, we're upstairs on the balcony. This is like 15 minutes to showtime. And then all of a sudden, next thing we know, another one of the character actors, which comes from the quote-unquote clown troupe, the, um, the acting troupe that helps tie the whole story together, she comes along, and she's got Marge Simpson hair, bright red Marge Simpson hair, <laughs> and a costume with a big, giant, padded butt. Jeez. And a tight dress. <laughs> and she's purposefully going through the rows of seats, going, excuse me, pardon me, with her butt to everybody's face. <laughs> and then she sat down next to the guy in front of us. Her name was Gloria, as she announced. And she had a lovely conversation with the gentleman in front of us who had happened to be his birthday. And so out of her 
padded bra. She pulls a little postcard picture of herself, signs it, puts a big lipstick kiss on it, and then starts moving over and then like talks to somebody two rows down, so she's really bending over in someone's face. It was hysterical. And we're like, oh my God, she's going to be great. And she was. She was fabulous throughout the whole show. She was definitely one of the comedic relief actors. Um, but I thought that that was a really nice touch as a way to kind of introduce us and bring us into the show early. Well, I think Cirque always has some sort of pre-show, right? Yes. So that was the pre-show for this one. Okay, so without giving away too, too much, what about the rest of the show? The rest of the show. Oh, my gosh. Let's talk about the acts. The acts, simply amazing and astounding. One of the coolest things they did with this show, and you'll see this in the photos that Cirque was very gracious to provide for our blog, they did a lot of really interesting, they actually had a projection team designing some of the backdropping. Like I said, they want to take you through from the beginning of beginnings of motion all the way on through to the actual film, if you will. And in fact, part of the last, um, part of the second set was actually kind of taking you into a movie with our characters. Without giving away too much detail, there is a storyline through the through the movie. Uh, a music composer named Buster sees a young upcoming actress named Scarlett and spends the whole mo- the whole show trying to meet her as he's fallen in love with her. That'll tie in through the whole the whole epic everything. So it's a love story. It is a love story. Oh. And actually one of the cool um, acts at the end is a love story. So we'll just leave it at that. They start off doing some amazing... Not like a Zumanity love story, though, right? No, no, not at all. Not no, at that's, all. A, that's a love story. <laughs> <laughs> of all kinds of love. <laughs> but I have not seen that one. Have you guys? No. No. <laughs> you listen to us all silently. Maybe it is. Maybe it is just a love story. Um... One, they actually start off with what I thought was one of the best acts, and I thought it was a perfect bang of a way to start the show, and that was the Ariel Straps duo. The two brothers who performed that actually came out and talked to us after the show, and they were simply amazing. They've been with Cirque for 10 years, and they started off in Barakai. So if anybody's seen that one, um, they'd be familiar with their act. Like I said, our balcony seats were, our, our first mezzanine seats were absolutely perfect. We were at the level when they took to the air. We were dead, dead on for it. So we thought that was really cool. They did some really unique stuff with the contortionists. And the hand-to-hand people. One of the things, like I said, they had this projection team, right? They use a really interesting technique where the backgrounding, and it took my husband, who is in television, and I both a while to kind of figure it out before we went down to the Q&A. And what they told us is it's actually live projections. You know how 
in track and field, like with pole vaulters, they do a thing where they run a stop. They, they run them like a film, like parts of a film strip so they can see where they're arching their backs and, you know, doing the right kind of, right kind of athletic move. Right. Well, it's basically that. The, as the acrobats are doing their things, on the back wall is them in kind of a, a step-by-step-by-step live motion portrayal. And they use that technique throughout the uh, show for great effect. So keep in mind when you see it that that is live. And that's what I, you know, live were then run through the computer to add the stop. So how many different acts are in the show? Oh, my gosh. One, two, three, four... Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Can you pick a favorite? I don't know. Those guys were awful great. But some of the other things they did, one of the other best ones was not even an acrobatic. It was a precision performance. And it was more used with dancers, and it was called film strip. And they had a, and there's a picture of this in in our blog. They had seven boxes across the, they had a set that was basically seven boxes, one right next to each other. They looked like the different frames of an actual piece of real movie film. And the performers went through it and it looked like when you slide a movie, piece of movie film, you know, when you see the traditional old-fashioned running the movie through and you see the different frames all at the same time, that's what it looked like. And it was amazing. Sounds like you had a good time. Would you recommend the show? Oh, my gosh. I really would. I really would. There are a couple parts in it that I felt went on just a little bit too long. Kind of like this review? Hey, um, man. I thought you, okay, let's let's back up a second. What are the ticket prices? Do you know? Okay. Do you have that info? Ticket prices are exciting. They range from... <laughs> they are? Okay. Really? They're not... It's not a cheap show. Well, so never earlier, is, but... As I alerted to earlier, tickets range from 43 to 133. 43 is not bad that's, for Cirque. That's exciting. That's exciting. 43 is... Now, keep in mind, 43 is the very upper mezzanine. So you have to have, like, oxygen Nosebleed. or something like that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, a little bit of oxygen. But... That's a pretty fabulous vantage point because you're looking down on the whole thing. Right. And you are at the the highest um, aerialist. Now, the only seats I wouldn't recommend are in the very back of the theater on the first level. Gotcha. Because those are restricted view. And those will run you, hang on two seconds, 103 in the evening. For restricted view? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, they're, well, they're in the very back of, of the parterre, which is the, the back upper floor. They're in the very back of the parterre under the mezzanine. Jeez. So you can't yeah. really look up to the acro- to the aerialists. So that's why they're restricted. So I would definitely not go with the, the upper parterre. Now the VIP seats, the VIP seating will actually get you a couple close front balconies and the um, the very bottom of the orchestra level closest to the stage. I honestly, I would not go for those seats. Go for the mezzanine? Go for the mezzanine if you can. 
granted, the expensive seats are the best seats. You're going to find that. But Cirque is, I think, pretty well worth it. If you're going to go to a performance like that, go ahead and spend a little more money and get what is really good for you. Other than that, Cirque is like Disney. Tons of detail. You may have to go a couple times to pay attention to this one. This one really is quite a cinematic treat. Sounds like it's going on my must-see list. Yeah, sounds like a lot of fun. Yep. All right. Thank you for that, Nancy. Ooh, now for something not so fun, something a little scary, let's head over to Wayne, who visited Universal Studios Hollywood. and went Thank to you. Halloween Horror Nights. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, back to the old Halloween thing. Well, first of all, let, let me just give a little explanation here. You know, we never did go through our um, get to know each of the podcasters things. Um, we were, they don't we were talking know about us, Wayne. well, maybe, maybe not. But the reason <laughs> I bring this up is I'm afraid people are going to start getting the impression that I like or really love almost everything I go to, and they're going to get really tired of hearing how wonderful things were with me. <laughs> Especially and unfortunately, especially um, all the things that are show related, and this uh, I'm I'm happy to say is another event that I really did enjoy. This was a very good event, and I had a lot of fun. This is Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios Hollywood. Now, for many of you who know uh, the Halloween events down in Southern California, Knott's Berry Farm has had the Scary Farm for years, and they've really had a lock on Halloween for many, many years. I believe it was back in the early 90s that Universal first tried a Halloween Horror Nights event, and that first year was pretty successful. At that time, they put many of the attraction mazes and the haunted house features inside the sound stages, and that gave a lot of facility and made them really really special for the kinds of effects and the kinds of things that they were able to do. They even did some inside some of the parking lots, inside the parking lot structures. That was back when Universal didn't have the attendance that it has now. There was lots of live entertainment and shows, and the Bill and Ted's show was a very big hit. That was back in the early 90s. Then Universal, they stopped doing Halloween events for a number of years, but eventually brought it back. And now it seems to be an annual event out there. And it has, over the last couple of years, been very, very successful and in my opinion, is really giving Knott's a run for its money. The traffic headed toward the event was not as bad as I predicted. I did leave almost three hours in advance of the event to get to the to the area just anticipating the traffic would be horrible. And admittedly, depending on your approach to Universal, That'll depend on what you run into and will also depend on what parking area they guide you to. Now, from the direction I came from, which was from the Disneyland Resort area, I took the standard advertised Universal Studios exit, and I got directed to the farthest parking area, which winds up being quite some walk. You wind up walking all the way through City Walk which is not that bad when you're at the first part of your day, but 
the walk afterwards when you have to walk all the way back to your car is something else. Uh, is apparently parking included, fl- Wayne, or? No. Uh, parking is 15 bucks for general parking. There is a preferred parking, which is 25 bucks, which gets you a bit closer. I don't think it gets you close enough to warrant the extra $10, and I opted not to do that. You do want to keep your parking stub. If you go early enough in the afternoon, you can go to the movie complex there at CityWalk, and they will actually refund your parking. CityWalk has lots of really good shops, entertainments, and restaurants, and that's a very good staging area if you get to the event early, like I did. You can grab a bite to eat before the event. You can do a little sightseeing and shopping. It's not bad if you want to save a little time and money by doing get, getting getting a little bit of food ahead of the event rather than waiting until you're inside the, the theme park and doing theme park prices. That'd probably be a good idea at Disneyland too, huh, Tony? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I've seen uh, CityWalk in Florida, and I think CityWalk out, out in Hollywood, it, it's much, much bigger, and there's a lot more entertainment, restaurants. It's it's definitely more alive than what I experienced. CityWalk really is a venue that you can, you can spend a good afternoon there. So getting to the Halloween Horror Nights event early in the afternoon is not a bad way to go. Now, as far as tickets go, I went and I got what Universal calls their front-of-the-line pass. Now, this includes admission and the the front-of-the-line access, and for this night, it cost me $79. I'll talk a little little bit more about this, um, but it was well worth it. And if you can spring for the extra cost, this really is the only way to see all the things at Halloween Horror Nights in one evening. And for full disclosure, I did pay my own way in full for this event. Regular event tickets are $62, and there is a VIP experience which gets you unlimited front-of-the-line access to all the shows, attractions, mazes, and there's also a special lounge with food and drinks. And valet parking is provided. That will run you between $170 and $190, depending on the date you go. The front-of-the-line pass gets you single front-of-the-line one time for each attraction. Still very big plus. I went to the check out the entry area at about 5.30. The event starts at 7 p.m., so I was an hour and a half ahead of the start of the event and security lines were already filling up pretty full and and were filling rapidly as i was there i wasn't planning on getting into the queue that early but i just decided to get in line anyway um because i didn't want to miss anything and i think that was the big perception there now note that i don't really think this was that necessary As I was inside at about 7.30, I looked back outside at the lines, and the the outside lines had definitely calmed down. I couldn't quite see all the way out to the security area but because I was inside the inside plaza, but I'm not quite convinced you have to line up that far in advance. 
They do do a full security search, including removing your belt and all metal items attached to you. They've got the standard airport, you know, metal detectors, and it's pretty formal. It's a pretty formal screening thing, which, got to tell you, I am thankful for. This is a big crowd. This is a lot of people and a wide divergence of people. I'm glad they're checking for things that shouldn't belong in theme parks. There is a special queue, both in the security area and in the entrance area, for front-of-the-line pass and VIP experience folks. I'm not sure it really bought you much time because there were so many other queue lines to get in and only one front-of-the-line access. So the time-wise, it actually worked out to be about the same. They did, however, preload guests into the initial area ahead of opening time. Entry was staged at about 6.45, and they let us inside the park up to like an entry stage, which was decorated and themed in the Halloween Horror Nights gruesome decor. Right at 7 p.m., the entry stage area came to life. There were fire cannons on top of this entry truss, All these monsters came towards the crowd in force. It was definitely on. It was a very exciting start of the event. These fire cannons that were on top of this structure, they went off all evening long and just shot these huge flame cannons into the air. The sound was really great. It it was pretty impressive. At 7 p.m., they also started letting everybody else into the event, so it was actually a pretty moderated entry. Now, the night I went, it was an excellent night. Weather was just perfect. So uh, there was no problem at all with either being too hot, too cold, rain, anything. It was beautiful. They do utilize both the upper and lower lots in Universal Studios. So pretty much the whole park is being utilized for the event. That was pretty nice because you felt like you were getting the full experience of Universal. The mazes, the haunted mazes, they were scattered on both levels, so there was good crowd disbursement, too. Lots of people, you know, they didn't hang around on the upper lot right away, which is where you enter from the main entry area. Lots of people headed down to the lower lot immediately, so I didn't feel like there was a, a, a big a big uh, a conglomeration of people right at the front, everybody trying to do the same thing all at once. Now, one of the theme attractions that's part of Universal Hollywood's Halloween Horror Nights is the Terror Tram. This is the standard Universal Studios tour tram, but modified for the Horror Nights. Nice. I don't want to describe every attraction and maze in detail, but let me just give you an idea of what they do for this. You load on the tram for a very short ride down to the back lot area. Now, because I had the front of the line pass, I was able to get right on. I had no weight at all. Now, they take you down to the lower lot, and then you disembark, which is something you don't do during the normal tour. And then this becomes a self-walking tour through part of the back lot area that they've arranged for Halloween Horror Nights. It's pretty spooky. It it pretty much puts you into panic right away. There's minimal lighting. The monsters start greeting you and and 
attacking you from all directions as soon as you offload, it's a pretty nice experience and one that you don't get in hardly any of the other uh, theme park um, Halloween events. This one is unique because it does take you by the set of the Bates Motel, and you get to walk nice. right on, right on the walkway, right, right oh. on. Yeah, you're, you're right there. You walk right past the office um, where where they did the filming. Take you by another little path and up the hill, and again right past the Psycho House. And it's just it's it's so cool to be able to be right there. Walking right past the original Psycho House from the very first movie. You then move into a couple of other scenes with they, which they've created special for the event, and they're well done. There, there's characters and monsters and sound and lighting and effects, and everyone's just kind of moving at their own pace, and you're able to stop and look at the things you want to. It's really very good. So, Terror Tram, very nice, very good, liked it a lot. The mazes in the upper lot were split between the different regular attractions that they have in Universal. So they'll take over a theater or they'll take over a attraction, and that's where they will stage the entry line. The first one I visited, and please help me with this pronunciation. My Spanish is not what it is, what it should be up to. La Llorna. Villa de Almas Perdidas. And I need my Spanish people to tell me what exactly that means because I have... <laughs> if you go a little slower, I don't know what the first word is, but the Villas de Perdidas, something... Perdidas is lost. I know that. So Villas, I think, is that town? Lost something? Yeah, Villa is a, a town or city. So it's a lost town or something. Okay. Well, this was actually one of the better... Haunted mazes in the whole whole event. Um, very good lighting, very good effects, lots of good characters, lots of good frights, good music, good sounds, very well do, done theme park style haunted maze. That's on the upper level. The other really good maze on the upper level is the Wolfman. They put this in one of the permanent attractions there. I forget what the name of the permanent attraction is there but it's it's a haunted mansion too it's a haunted house itself it's a walk through that they have there all year long and it's it's been rethemed for the wolfman and there are characters lots of talent this is actually one of the most suspenseful of all the mazes that i went through Great props, great sets. The main like laboratory scene is really wonderful. Very full, very engaging. You get to walk through multiple levels on in, through this laboratory. It's very nice. Very, very long maze, too. It takes a lot of time to actually walk through that. The thing is on the upper level, and this one was a bit disappointing. It's based on the new Thing movie. The typical gore effects and standard blood and guts scenes. However, the sense of being lost was pretty prevalent in this one. And this is something that Universal is doing that's a lot better than a lot of the other theme park venues, including Knott's. Knott's has kind of lost something on this. It's very important in these mazes to keep you in a state of suspense, 
by making you feel like you are lost, like you don't have any idea where you're walking. And this can be accomplished in a number of ways, but one of the most significant is just put a roof over the maze. A lot of times, some of these walk-through mazes don't have a roof, so you're able to see some of your surroundings as you're walking through it. Anytime you can see another ride or a building or a restaurant or something, it immediately brings you out of the, the haunted environment, back to reality, and you know where you are. You can even sometimes get a feeling of how long the maze is by how close you are to the beginning. Universal really has this one down. They've done very, very well with keeping the ambiance and the environment of each of the mazes so that you stay within the theme of that maze. Wait times for most of the mazes were from 30 minutes to a little over an hour for each maze. The front of the line pass got me right in every time, maybe with a minute or two at most. And as I said, this dramatically decreased the boredom and the stress level of not having to wait in line. Also, many of these queue lines were in backstage areas, and there really isn't anything to look at. There's like no entertainment at all, and I really felt sorry for those folks who were standing in line for an hour in a totally boring line. So you might want to consider that, too, when you're considering whether to get the front of the line, because even though the queue line's boring, there's a special way to get in for front of the line and just bypass it and go straight to the attraction. Down in the lower lot area, they had Rod Zombie's House of a Thousand Corpses, Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare, and the Eli Roth's Hostel. They're all three about the same. They, of course, were variances, but on balance, this was the same type of high-intensity horror and gore-based theme park maze that we've all come to expect in, in most of these events. I was a little disappointed in all of them. They There was nothing spectacular about this. In the Rob Zombie maze, they did have the, the little Spectra glasses 3D effect, the the ones that you just put on and it makes the reds and the blues shift a little bit and it's sort of a semi-3D. It's It was an interesting th- effect about 10 years ago. It's now gotten a bit old, and I think people are so used to it that it's just not impressive at all. I did hear the reviews for Universal Florida, and overall I think their event is a little better. They seemed, as, as I heard those d- descriptions... The mazes seem to be a little more varied, a little bit more interesting, more special effects, more engaging presentations. I think Hollywood is suffering from the, well, we get our audience anyway. We're going to be filled to capacity no matter what we do, so there's really no need to make it so over the top like it was back in the 90s. I don't know how long that's going to last. I don't know that anybody's going to be competing with them. But I did get the feeling as I was walking through this, this isn't quite as spectacular as some of the reviews that I heard about Universal Florida and the kinds of Halloween Horror Night that they have out there. The one big show for the event is Bill and Ted's Excellent Halloween Adventure. 
And I thoroughly love this show. This is definitely one of the highlights of the entire event. About 50% of the show is pop culture references that went way over my head, and the audience was rolling, roaring, so it must have been good. There's a nice little storyline in the first half of the show, that, and they go through and they attack just about all of last year's popular characters in movies, TV shows, and political. Everyone got their licks. Disney even took some major hits. But other movie studios and theme parks also got knocked, and it was very funny. And the show's about 45 minutes long, which is long for an event like this. It was so good, I almost went to see it twice. Are the other rides, are any of the actual, like, regular rides open during this time or no? I am so glad you brought that up, Tony. The big rides are working during this. The Simpsons ride, the Mummy ride, and Jurassic Park is is open. Now, did your front of the line work for those also? It does. It works works One one time for each of those. And for rides like the Simpsons and Jurassic Park, there's an hour wait right there. Because even for Halloween Horror Nights, those are still very popular attractions, and people want to go on them. Simpsons just makes me laugh. That is such a funny attraction. I uh, think that's the best ride I've ever been on. It's very good. I, I love that ride. I think that ride's amazing. And, and I'm not just as a Simpsons fan. I just think it was. I really, you really feel like you're in that cartoon. I completely agree. This is one of the best utilizations of the IMAX simulator ride that that they've done. I like their old Back to the Future, but I like Simpsons better. And the way they've themed the queue and the whole pre-queue area, it's really a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. So, yes, Tony, the the major rides are up and running, and they had long wait times. As far as food goes, there's a good selection of food available during the event, but it's nothing like Disney. This is standard theme park fare at reasonable prices, reasonable for theme park food. There was, on the plus side, hardly any lines anywhere for food. There was food and drink stands all over. They were well dispersed and a good variety, too. No alcohol served at this event. Oh, wow. Not that I saw. I, I certainly didn't see anything. I'm sure there were probably people with, <laughs> with you know, vodka in their water yeah. bottles. Souvenirs, pretty thin. They did have some specific event merchandise, but I really didn't find anything interesting that I wanted to get, and that's unusual for me. Normally, I like buying a something that I can take as my little souvenir for the event, and I, I just couldn't find anything that I wanted. I almost bought a Simpsons souvenir, but thought that's just not appropriate. Um, they did have the standard glow and bubble lower stands uh, all over so that's that's available i finished up everything with time to spare it was a long night uh started at 7 p.m this night it went to 2 a.m oh my but i did cover everything the front of the line definitely was worth it for that because i was able to do absolutely everything and still had time to spare and didn't think didn't feel like I was rushing through everything. There was a long and strange walk back to the parking lot. They don't let you walk through City Walk on the way back, so you wind up having to walk through the outside. I didn't like that much. That was just a little a little too strange <laughs> a little too scary, a little, little too scary <laughs> for those of us who don't don't like strange places. 
Overall, I had a very good time. I would go again, probably not every year unless I lived down there. For visitors, for those of us traveling, I definitely recommend it. If you don't have access to this type of Halloween entertainment, you visit Southern California during the Halloween season, put this on your list. On Wayne's Entertainment Scale, <laughs> I give it a score of four, worth going to, and recommended for others. Going back to that first um, maze that you are talking about that you couldn't pronounce, Yep. what was the first word? It was La Llorona? Two L's O-L-L-O-R-O-N-A? That's the one. Okay. It's a widespread legend in Mexico, Puerto Rico, and Central America. The several variations exist. The basic story tells of a beautiful woman who killed her children by drowning them in order to be with the man she loved. Then, of course, the man rejects her. She kills herself. But when she gets to heaven, they ask her where her children are. So she's not permitted to enter the afterlife until she found she's found them. She's forced to wander the earth in all eternity, looking for her drowned offspring. And she, uh, her constant weeping gives her the name La Llorona. And in some versions of the tale, she's um, she kidnaps wandering children, or of course, parents who want to discipline their children will tell her that children who disobey their parents can get kidnapped by La Llorona. Good times. And you'll see her, and people will claim to see her come out at nights in near rivers or oceans in Mexico. So this now makes a lot more sense for some <laughs> of the stuff I saw in there yeah. because there was a great graveyard scene in there. Well, that was probably one of the spookiest uh, parts yeah. of the whole that's maze. A, that's a scary story. I'm getting goosebumps telling it. I, I remember from my childhood, you know, the city I lived in was you know, a lot of Hispanics in there. And, of course, we have a river bottom. And, of course, you always hear the story of La Llorona, who's going to come to get you in the, out of the river. And see, this is, this is why I go so nuts over all these Halloween events, is I love getting immersed in the tales and the, 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 the actuality of what's really going on. When I go into these mazes, I'm not just walking through with a bunch of people and trying to get scared, and I get startled pretty easy. I don't get scared, but boy, do I get startled. And it's so fun when you are so into it. You can absorb yourself and uh, so easily into the environment and the music and the lighting and the fog. And it just it helps so much. And it's wonderful. And I love it. And I always will. Thank you for that, Wayne. And that is going to do it for this edition of the Diz Unplugged. Thanks for listening. 